Hello, this is Christian Bush, and welcome to episode seven of Geekin' Out, my new podcast. Every episode is a new person talking about what they're obsessed with that has nothing to do with their job. The only requirement is that they're totally geeking out on it and they want to talk about it. From Sharpie graffiti Chuck Taylors to cosplay wig patterns, from miniature vintage synthesizers to hidden TV show tattoos, from 70s cartoon breakfast plates to beachcomber metal detectors, tell me about what you love, why you love it, how you got into it, and what makes it awesome. Every episode's presented in three chapters. Chapter one, my guest and I talk about what they're obsessed with. Chapter two is a game I call Trajit, where my guest and I turn each other on to one thing that we've discovered. And chapter three closes the show with me talking about music that I'm currently geeking out on and why. I believe that curiosity is contagious and the life is better with a soundtrack. So let's go. Chapter one. Today's guest is Angelina Burnett. Angelina is a television writer and producer who's written for incredible shows like The Americans, Hannibal, and my favorite, Halt and Catch Fire, which was just wrapping up its final season when we recorded this interview. She also happens to be a good friend of Ruth Bennett, the Friends fanatic with the amazing laugh that you may remember from our last episode. My producer Whitney and I went to visit Angelina at her home in Venice, California last August, and we've been looking forward to airing this episode ever since. I think you're about to understand why. How far away from the beach are we right now? Seven blocks. Do you walk that seven blocks a lot? Yes, I do. As much as I can. Hi, everybody. This is Angelina. Hi. Um, Angelina, tell everybody what you do. I write and produce television. Uh, I just finished up on a show called Halt and Catch Fire, which is airing now. Well, I don't know when this is airing, so who knows if Halt is airing. But you can see it on Netflix. And what is that sound of the, the animal on your knee? That is my Boston terrorist, Hank, uh, obsessively licking my knee. And I will make him stop in a moment because it's really obnoxious. <laughs> okay, so the rules of the podcast are um, I want you to talk about something that you're totally geeked out on that has nothing to do with your job. Okay, that's really easy right? for me. It's really easy I, for I, me. I know what's coming, but I just wanted to make sure because we set the ground yes, at the beginning. Yes, clear, claro. Okay, um, and this will be as long or as short as you need it to be. Okay. I'm just curious about your passion. Okay, I am deeply and profoundly passionate about Beyonce, Giselle's, Knowles, Carter. I recognize that this is a rather quotidian passion in this day and age, um, but I've been, uh, it's been growing slowly and steadily for many years, and Lemonade feels like a real justification for me, because I've gotten a lot of from a lot of friends, uh, smarty hoity toity songwriter types, who think they're so much better than Miss Beyonce, Giselle, and Willis Carter. And um, Lemony changed a lot of minds, and I feel really vindicated. Thank you. Um, for those people who don't know what we're talking about, could you shorten her name? Beyonce. Thank you. And and wait, you know, if I can just can I take a moment here? You can take Thank as you. this so, is this is actually so your I, moment. I need to I need to share something with 
everyone who's listening to this, and I'm hoping they will continue to share it with the people they know and ask them to share it with the people they know. Beyonce's nickname is pronounced B. Her fans are the Beehive. In many, many a recorded musical performance, members of her family, her friends, have called her B. Um, she uses the B emoji when she posts on Instagram. She did an entire tour in which she came out wrapped in a bee costume that opened up and she stepped out of it. There were projections of bees all over the stage. And yet, and yet, Johnny Come Lately fans insist on calling her Bay. That is not her nickname. And it's very disrespectful. <laughs> okay, I'm done. No. End rant. I, I feel that it's important to interject Oh, this is, this hi. Is oh, everybody, this is Whitney. I'm the producer and Christian's manager and Angelina's friend. Angelina is a very intelligent, wonderful, bril brilliant even, I would say, young woman who I've known since college, um, who leads a completely functional life, <laughs> but who just really likes Listen, Beyonce. You so, don't, I don't need you. I don't need you to convince them of my righteousness. So here's what I want, though, to, to go, is that I know, because you and I have had this conversation many times, that there was a point at which you your fandom of Beyonce went from like she's good to like she is all encompassing. Yes. Can you to, talk she, about she's changed my life? Yeah. Can you well, talk about that? I moment? can. I, there's actually a few moments. I'm gonna I'm gonna walk you through the evolution of my psychotic, obsessive, joyful, deeply and profoundly joyful and rewarding uh, and deeply rewarding. Seems to be rewarding. You're Incredibly getting something rewarding. out of it. I've spent an incredible amount of money on Beyonce, and I don't regret a single penny. <laughs> I've flown across the country and sat in front of. Uh, venues for long periods of time to be front and center for Beyonce, Giselle Knowles Carter. So when I was in college, one of my best friends, still to this day one of my best friends, who actually played soccer with Whitney, um, uh, she is a brilliant world-renowned tap dancer. She won a MacArthur a few years ago. She has an incredible dance company called Dorrance Dance, which I highly recommend if you enjoy dance, you check out. Um, and at the time she was dating an Irish step dancer. And they lived in this uh, basement apartment in New York City. You know, you had to like walk down below the sidewalk. And they had dragged this piece of plywood down into their basement apartment so they could practice. And I was a big time music snob. I listened to like obscure jazz and, you know, like modest, I was super into modest mouse. Like Radiohead and Beastie Boys were as like mainstream as I got. I was a big time snob at like 19. And um, Michelle was trying to convince me that Destiny's Child was like a super great fun band. And I was an asshole about it. So I go down to her basement apartment and she's like, I'm gonna dance for you. And she puts on Bills, Bills, Bills. And she, with her tap shoes on and her Irish step dancer girlfriend, start trading. And something about the, the rhythmic addition of the tap dancing and the step dancing like unlocked the music for me. So I didn't hear it as like cheesy pop music that wasn't cool anymore. I heard it as like this incredible rhythmic composition. And I was like, okay, maybe Destiny's Child is cool. I guess I'll check them out. And so I like started getting into Destiny's Child. I wasn't like insane, but I could groove on it. It sort of like opened my world to mainstream pop. Um, and then, I don't know, Circa Single Ladies, that video came out. And I am a deep dance history nerd. Um, 
and I'm a huge Bob Fosse fan. Bob Fosse is like responsible for all modern music videos. Like everything we sort of understand is like visual music mashup pop culture is can all be traced back to Bob Fosse. And if you could, of course, beyond Bob Fosse, go to like the Chitlin Circuit and the Hoofers and you can get deep into jazz and black culture and again, tap dance. Um, but Bob Fosse was sort of this like choke point culturally that really shifted how music videos get made. And for those who don't know, and I think maybe a lot do, but for those who don't, the single ladies video is a reimagining of like an old Fosse trio with his wife, Gwen Verdon. And I, I knew the piece. And so when I saw the single ladies video, I was like, holy <laughs> Beyonce's pulling from Fosse. And in a, like in an overt way, not in a like, I don't even know what I'm channeling way. And like this dude's the <laughs> By the way, Rich Man's Frog, which is another Fosse piece, inspired another Beyonce video called Get Me Bodied, which I found after Single Ladies when I started going psychotic and doing a deep dive. Um, so Single Ladies was another flashpoint, as it was for many. And then, this is where everything really changes. This is when I lost my mind. This is when I became a crazy person that spent five minutes ranting about a nickname. Um, I heard, I at this point in my life, whatever, mid-twenties, late-twenties, somewhere in there, was like done with stadium shows or big arena shows. Like, they sound like shit. They're not in rooms that are intended for sound. Um, your ears are ringing afterwards. There's too many people. It smells like beer. It's awful. I hated stadium shows. I was done. I was never going to another one. But I hear that Beyonce is doing a five-night residency at the Wynn in Las Vegas in like a 1,500-seat theater. And it's like a pared-down Vegas Review version of her big arena tour. And I was like, you know what? I've just gotten my first... Uh, script so like I had a nice chunk of change I've always my whole life been incredibly financially irresponsible so rather than putting it in savings I was like you know what I will blow the incredible amount of money that it's gonna require because by the way you can't just buy a ticket to see Beyonce at the win you have to stay at the win to be eligible to buy a ticket and those are not <laughs> the t those are not the cheapest rooms in right? Vegas and I don't want to go alone and like none of my friends at this point who like Beyonce have the kind of money to do something like this so I call up my friend Matt Murray who, former ABT dancer, now of arts and dance photographer for the New York Times and Broadway. He did the Hamilton, the photo that's on the Hamilton oh, I didn't poster. Know that. Yeah, the guy pointing the up. Of yeah, up on yeah. the star. That's one of Matt's photos. Um, he's amazing. And he and I, he's a huge Fosse fan and a dance nerd like I am. And we had like geeked out over the single ladies video. So I was like, listen, if you can pay for your plane ticket, I got everything else. And I'm going to need you to come out to Vegas and we're going to see Beyonce Giselle Smalls Carter live for the first time. And. We had a great day. We chilled in the pool with the drinks. Whitney, we do this. This yeah. is Whitney's favorite thing to do. It's, you know, the Vegas chill. Yeah. And we started talking. We were like, you know, I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried that this is going to break the spell. That, like, this sort of fun few months we've had geeking out about Beyonce. We're going to go see her on a stage in a small theater without the bells and whistles. And we're just going to be like, eh, oh, well, that was fun while it lasted. It was going to disappoint you. Yeah, what you were we were anticipating disappointment because how could she live up to this like in this like geek geek fest we'd had over the single ladies video? It was all hype, no way. So now a little bit more context. At this point, the way I listen to Beyonce albums is like three songs off of every one. I skip the majority of them. I find many of them insipid. There's a song called Hello, which is basically the line from Jerry Maguire over and over again. You had me at hello. It's ridiculous. I was, I laughed. I, I don't even actually think I'd ever listened to the entire song because it was so silly. I was like, skip, next. So I'm in the front row of the balcony of this 1500 seat theater, which is not that big. It's a nice intimate setting for someone like Beyonce. 
and I'm in my freakum dress and I got my heels on and I have my nails done and Matt's in a cute outfit and the lights come down and the opening strains of hello start and something happens in my heart I'm like what's happening I don't like this song why do I feel this way and then I realize She's not coming out on stage. She's coming from the back of the house and she's walking down the center and she's shaking hands with her fans. One man genuflex and she laughs like, oh, my wonderful subjects, all the while belting this song. Hello, you had me at hello. And it's also like, you know, a million mile an hour lyrical dance in between the cheesy refrain of you had me at hello. And I start weeping. <laughs> Really? It was the craziest. I have no idea where it came from. Literally, like, laughing, crying. I turn to Matt, I point at my face, and I say, what the f*** is happening? Like, it was, it was physiological. Something rearranged in my chemical makeup. And I was a, dif I was a different person. I cried through that whole f***ing show i cry at every beyonce show i have not missed a tour since i've seen most tours two or three times i flew across the country when she played roseland desperate for that intimate not roseland was it roseland yes desperate for that intimate experience again and i managed to be in the front row of this thing that's why i sat in line all day to be in the front and was like nearly attacked by a teenage gay man smacked in the back of my head with his camera it was not good vibes at all but she was right there i could have spit on her not that i would ever spit on beyonce so really what it is is there's something about her as a live performer that like until you've seen it and this is why i felt vindicated by lemonade when you see her live you're like there is some in there that has not come out yet she has been like twerking herself into this like pop mold of what you're supposed to be to be a huge famous pop singer and there's something else inside of her that is like screaming to come out and so that's there was some there was this shift that happened between Beyonce and Lemonade where she went from being the most studied performer I've ever seen like a lot of times she's like oh that's so effortless until Lemonade Beyonce was not effortless she was working her off and you saw it every second everything but she watches every show after it's done she watches the whole thing does notes and sends them to the dancers and the musicians for the next morning she watches every show she does and studies it and you could tell and then something happened maybe it's having a kid maybe it's having a quadrillion dollars i have no idea where she was just like you know what i don't give a f anymore and this last tour was the messiest most vicious most energetic give no f thing I've ever seen from her and I feel so incredibly proud to have been there early on and to have committed knowing what she was capable of and having been proven right but this is why I get like a little aggro that there's not for someone as popular as she is and as successful as she is and as you know ubiquitous as she is that there isn't more like actual critical thought about her entire body of work because Lemonade is absolutely in keeping with it she has been singing about this exact her whole career and a lot of people throw oh, she doesn't write her songs she absolutely writes her songs there's no way she's collaborating with Pharrell and he's writing lyrics about what happens when a perm has been left in too long like Beyonce is all lyrically all over her of course she collaborates Christian as you know collaboration is a huge part of songwriting so 
this, this these themes um women done wrong by their men um commitment to their men commitment to making it work girlfriends standing by each other sisterhood are the themes of all of her work and what's so great about lemonade it's like you know the wonderful sam shepherd just passed away and he's probably my favorite playwright he wrote the same play over and over again for his entire career and there's a couple ones that pop up where you're like that is like the distillation of all the themes he's been working with through his entire career. And that's what was so exciting about Lemonade, was it's like she has, she has tapped the vein now. She's been drilling down for 20 years, and she's tapped the vein. And what happened when she tapped the vein was, on one level it was about Jay-Z, on another level it was about any woman who's been done wrong and has been supported by her girlfriends, on another, another level it's about black people's relationship with America, on another level it's about women's relationship with America, like it works thematically on multiple levels. And to have that album come out in the context of what just happened with this last election, as a woman in this country, being able to tap into those emotions, because I've never been done wrong in that way, I can't relate to having been like cheated on and disrespected repeatedly. Um, but I can relate to feeling like, you know, I, finding my own power in a situation that fights to make me powerless. And the fact that she was able to take what used to be like cute little pop confections dealing with like my man done, done me wrong, no, 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 and turn it into something that like expands and contracts depending on who you are and where you're sitting in the culture is like a beautiful accomplishment. And so when you look at it in the context of her whole body of work, it, it's about GZ, it's about every guy she ever dated, it's about her dad, it's about any guy that f***ed over one of her friends, it's about everyone. So you can read it however you want. And I think, I could be wrong, I don't know the woman, someday I hope to. Um, <laughs> But I don't necessarily think she gives a f what you think it's about because she knows what it means for her and you get to make it whatever you want to make it for you. And scene. This is awesome. <laughs> um, I I'm very excited about this. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad so Because I, well, I didn't know. I had no idea. And, you know, I'm very curious. Uh, so I have, my daughter is 12. Uh -huh. And if I was to start her on a Beyonce song and give her, like, the first three... Hmm. What would the first three be? Well, the twelve-year-old throws me. Well, then, and again, you know, if we're going to raise strong women, yes, and this is our strong woman avatar, yes, yes. and it is a bumblebee, which is an emoji, right? Yes. Yes. How do I say, Camille? Look, I need you to take one step, and here's what I want. And here's Here, what you want. Okay. And it came from a professional. Um, let's see. I would say, um, bills, 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 bills. Um which is Destiny's Child era. Um, XO from Beyonce. Oh, God. Just flipping through my Rolodex. Uh, I would say, I, you know what? She's 12. Let's go for Independent Women Part 2, the title song from Charlie's Angels. It's very straightforward. Own your be your own woman. Take care of yourself. It's a good message. It's very accessible. I love Those would this. be my three. Okay. We'll totally do that. Well, thank you for being You're here. You're so welcome. This was, I really can't tell you what a treat it was for somebody to actually ask me to do this rather than like suffer through me doing it while I'm like drunk or stoned at a bar. So thank you for this incredible opportunity. And I hope that people like didn't turn off two minutes in when I was ranting about a nickname. <laughs>
Chapter 2 is coming up in just a minute, but first, a word from our sponsor. It's spring, and that means wedding season is upon us, especially here in the South. As we learned when I visited Say Yes to the Dress, I don't know much about wedding dresses, but I know that planning your perfect day can be stressful for a lot of couples. Zola is the wedding company that will do anything for love, and they are reinventing the wedding registry and planning process to make the happiest moment in couples' lives even happier. It's free, easy to use, and fun. Zola has a free suite of wedding planning tools, including free wedding websites, customizable checklists, and a guest list manager. Zola Registry has everything you love about your favorite department stores, plus things like honeymoon funds, fitness classes, wine subscriptions, and so much more. Plus, Zola's full suite of tools can be managed from the Zola Weddings app for iPhone and Android. Whatever you need for your wedding, Zola is there, combining compassionate customer service with modern tools and technology, all in the service of love. Join over 500,000 couples who've used Zola. To sign up with Zola and receive a $50 credit towards your registry, go to Zola.com slash Nashville pod. That's right. Sign up with Zola now and receive a $50 credit towards your registry. Just go to Zola. That's Z-O-L-A dot com slash Nashville pod. Chapter two. In every episode of Geekin' Out, I see if I can trade one thing I've discovered with one thing that my guest has discovered. A friendly exchange, I call it Trade Ya. All right, so this section of the podcast is called Trade Ya. I, give, I turn you on to one thing that I'm into at the moment, and you turn me on to one thing that you're <laughs> into at the moment. And it could be anything, like a TV show that you like, or or uh, a product, or a any could be uh-huh. anything. Okay. I got it. You know, like, uh, I'll go first. Okay, go. To give you an idea. Um, you have two dogs. I do. And I have recently become kind of a half dog owner. Um, and I have discovered this uh, crazy thing that apparently, I, just because I'm like the least suburban person, uh-huh. I didn't know these things existed, but um, the bark box. Ah, yes. Right, where you get the thing. And, um, and it comes in the mail, and I guess you can do this for clothes and yeah. things for ladies, or yeah. you can do it for men, or you can do it for food. There's yeah. all sorts of ways that you can never leave your house again. Yes, basically. Right? So this particular thing, uh, uh, do you get a bark box? No. Okay, I don't. you should try this because. I have the most allergic dog in the world. I would well, I think you can out. tell them that. Oh, okay. I, but I'm not sure. Okay. But um, so I, I have an anxious half dog, uh-huh. and. Um, <laughs> And I, I got this bark box thing, and it, they they have little themes. They come with, I think the most recent one was like space. So there was like a space squirrel and a space <laughs> thing, and apparently, which I didn't know until recently, because Whitney pointed it out, if your dog tears it up, which yeah. my dog would tear that yeah. up, you could send it back, and they'll send you something new. Oh wow! Right. That's great. So I'm turning That's you on to it. Great public service. Because I love your dogs. And They're such good dogs. They're super. They would chill. love that. Okay, guys, how about I get you a bark box? Um, okay. <laughs> Whitley's like, whatever, I whatever. don't care. Hank will eat everything. Um, so I, have you, do you know, and I hope you don't know, because then I will have failed, um, the television program, The Leftovers. No, I've seen it uh, on the, the yes. menu. 
Uh, I don't I don't know anything about it. So, is that the one that also was a book? Yes. Okay. Um, Tell me. It it just the finale just aired like two months ago. It was only three seasons. I watched the pilot when it premiered and was like, this is the saddest thing I've ever seen. I cannot watch this. And then post election, I had a Whitney knows this, but because she turned me on to it. But I went through a, a really long phase where I couldn't watch any television at all, any narrative television at all, or scripted television. I watched, I'm not even kidding, almost every single season of Survivor because there was just something about the mindlessness of it and the, like, hope of people going back to the beginning and, like, starting over and being able to take care of themselves. Like, if we get wiped out, we can start fire and, like, you know... Kill a pig. If, if we get wiped out, the former Survivor contestants yeah. are in charge. Yes, that's right. They'll they're gonna build camp. Jeff Probst will be the prime minister. So for some reason, and I I can't really say how it happened. The way I transitioned back into watching scripted television, which really I actually know plenty of TV writers who don't watch television. I think that's crazy. Like it's your form. I think you should study it and understand it and see what else is out there. So um, I transitioned back in by watching The Leftovers, and it actually it feels like it was ahead of its time. Like it's far more um, uh, speaks to this cultural and societal moment than The Handmaiden's Tale does. Frankly, um, it is a stunning, stunning, stunning work of storytelling, and I was actually angry at myself for not watching it when it came out so I could, like, champion it. It really is truly one of my favorite shows ever made. I'd put it up there with The Wire and Dead, which, which are my two favorite shows. Um, it is so weird. It is so confident. It is so deeply, deeply, deeply heart-centered and, and, like, emotional and real and honest, and you never know where it's going to go. Never. I was sh every episode I was like I was sure it was going one way and it would dogleg and go another and it always came out of character and it always felt real. I wept. I it was it was just truly one of the most beautiful pieces of television I've ever seen. That said, it is also the saddest piece of television I've ever seen. <laughs> so, okay. I want to recommend it because I just I just feel like I'm a fuller person for having experienced it, but it was deeply sad. Like so, balance it maybe with yeah, like maybe watch <laughs> a levity. couple and then watch like I don't know a few Thirty Rocks. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> get yourself back. Yeah, get yourself back. So that's my that's your trick. That's what I'm turning All right. on to. Thank you for being here. You're so welcome. This is it's, a delight. It's fantastic. I love where you live. Thank this you. This is awesome. It's like California, but it's it's got a buffer of like trees. Yeah, lots of green. Keeps the California in and out. Yes, that's right. All right. Thank you. This was fun. Bye. Bye. Chapter 3, Me Geeking Out on Music The Rhythm of the Words Commercial songs have many important pieces that contribute to their popularity. A melody, a rhythm, a lyric that all combine to make some sort of elixir. A potion that our brains just can't resist. People for years have been trying to make a science out of the mystery of hits. There are websites that'll analyze your uploaded song and give it a hit score between 1 and 10. Apparently, Black Eyed Peas, I've got a feeling, scores at like 8.5. There's a hit potential equation developed by the University of Bristol. Even today, Sony has some sort of artificial intelligence algorithm that they claim can actually write hits based on the existing structure of years and years of hit songs. But I would like to humbly offer one underrated characteristic of songs that stick in your ear. 
I propose that it's not just the melody or the lyric or the key or the beats per minute that drive the force of a catchy hit, but rather the hidden superpower of the song, the rhythm of the words and the way they roll out of the singer's mouth. Once you recognize it, you start to hear it everywhere. They're easily identifiable songs that you might have messed up the lyric to, but you can sing the syllables no matter what. Like this. Or this. We sometimes curse these songs because they stay in our heads all day. They're hard to shake. I believe they're hard to shake maybe because the rhythm of the words have some sort of relationship to your everyday work. The way we walk, the way our hearts beat, even the way we talk might key off a rhythm that lines up exactly with the song that you've heard. So try this one on for size. Robin Hood and Little John walking through the forest, laughing back and forth at what the other has to say. Reminiscing this and that and having such a good time. Oodle lolly, oodle lolly, golly, what a day. You see, it's not just what he's saying, it's how he's saying it that makes it stick in your head. Kind of like this band. Some people figured out the real value of the rhythm of the word and how to play with it. These guys were a part of a movement that changed everything. And then others even innovated it. How do the rhythm of the words affect you? But when it comes down to it, it's the way the words roll off the singer's mouth that make all the difference. So check this out. This is Michael Jackson, vocal only, of Beat It. Listen to how much of the song is in how he sings it, not just what he's singing or even just the melody, but the way the rhythm of the words work. We all know this song, but this is a fun way to hear it. This is what it sounded like to hear only the vocal and what the rhythm of the words sound like. So next time you listen to your favorite song or you're just flipping through the channels on the radio, notice the rhythm of the words, how they bounce, when they stop, how good they feel. If you sing in the shower, you'll find that you imagine the whole band in your head as you sing along. Listen to the rhythm and dance along with it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Geekin' Out, and we are already hard at work on the next one. 
Are you obsessed with something amazing? Want to tell us about it? Write to us at geekingoutwithkb at gmail.com and you might be a guest on an upcoming episode. Come find out more about me and this podcast at christianbush.com. Christian with a K, people. Follow me at Christian Bush on Twitter, Christian Bush on Instagram, Christian Bush on Facebook, and Christian M. Bush on Snapchat. Thanks to Bobby Bones for the opportunity to make this podcast, Brandon Bush for making the soundtrack and assembling the pieces, Tom Tapley for audio wizardry, and Whitney Pastrick for being a great producer and making this whole thing possible. This is Christian Bush, geeking out. Thank you for listening.